We're in our uh, series called I Did It For The Pizza. I told you last week that I got this series from my daughter Zoe. I am hoping in these five weeks to help you redeem some of the things that motivate you. Each of us are motivated by different things in different seasons of our lives. We have different motivations that come to the surface. And so I hope that as I walk through each of these key motivators in the next five weeks, that um, the story of Jesus kind of bubbles up in your heart. And that as I invite you to consider laying the story of Jesus over those areas of your life, as the months turn to years, you will find that those areas in your life of motivation actually begin to look more and more like the kingdom of God. So I'm hoping to help you redeem your motivations. This week I want to talk about death, everybody's favorite subject. I feel like I've been beating myself up over the last 10 weeks with the sermon series here in this church. It seems like every week I have another very difficult and thorny topic to deal with. Let's uh, talk about death, shall we? Here's some quotes from some people you may have heard of. To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. That's uh, J.K. Rowling author of the Harry Potter series. I'm not afraid of death, I just don't wanna be there when it happens. The immortal Woody Allen. The fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man or woman who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. The great American poet and writer Mark Twain. Death ends a life, not a relationship. Mitch Albom. I don't want to die without any scars. Chuck Palahniuk, Fight Club. And of course, I love that quote for different reasons than Chuck. I too don't want to die without any scars. But not the kind of scars you get from fighting another person in an underground fight club, but the kind of scars that come from living a vulnerable life before the Lord, poured out in the service of others. I don't want to die without any scars. This one's great. When he shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars, and he will make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garish sun. William Shakespeare, from Romeo and Juliet. I wonder what you think about death. I received a bunch of emails this week when people realized that I was preaching on death saying that for them, this is the key concern of their life. This is the key focus of their days. What do you think about death? As I have interacted with people in my 46 years, it seems to me that oftentimes people's posture when it comes to death is one of avoidance. I don't want to talk about it. If you study death, you'll see that this is not just something that you or your peers experience, but it is in fact a societal trend. People don't want to make their wills ahead of time. We are notorious for neglecting our funeral arrangements until it's too late. And these are just symbols, right? We don't want to think about it. We want to avoid it. That perhaps is the most common tactic in our culture when it comes to death, avoidance. Some people you'll meet actually come to the concept of death with the posture of acceptance. It's gonna happen, nothing I can do about it. So why worry? So this is kind of like avoidance, but it's, you know, it's one step down the road from avoidance. This is one that for me is a much more common posture. Ah, I can't control it. I remember thinking when I was a young man, I uh, drove motorcycles and when you drive motorcycles, you're always thinking I could die today, which is kind of a reason not to drive motorcycles. <laughs> I don't drive them anymore. In fact, as soon as I had kids, I stopped 
driving motorcycles. I also stopped golfing. So uh, make sure you have your fun while you're young, because once the kids arrive, like you have a responsibility, right? So I would always think, boy, I, I could die today. I actually commuted from Mississauga, where I spent my teenage years, to the University of Toronto's downtown campus on my motorcycle. And I would ride that motorcycle until there was ice on the roads. I celebrated big time the day I bought my first car. But I always thought, well, it could happen. I could die today. But I remember thinking, I was just a young man, so forgive the inanity of this. I remember thinking, well, if I'm not meant to die today, I'm not going to die today. Therefore, I'm immortal until I'm not. Sounds very much like a 24-year-old's perspective on life. <laughs> that was before wrinkles and gray hair. Oh my gosh, so scary. We were um, looking at a picture of my first Christmas here at Grace, our family's first Christmas with you, and my hair was all brown. And Nikki was like, that church turns your hair gray. <laughs> I said, darn it. <laughs> oh, and we're only half joking, right? <laughs> Those of you who've been with us for the last four years say amen, right? We've, it's, it's been an interesting four years. Lord have mercy. I got gray hair to show for it. At least I'm gray now, so, you know, 10 years from now, no big deal. Acceptance. Another um, posture that you can bring to thinking about death is the posture of action. Okay, let's do something about it then. This is echoed in my two favorite quotes on death. I didn't include them in the list of quotes, so I wanted to save them just for me. Um, the first one comes from the famous movie Braveheart. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it to you. It's a bit older now, but it stands up. I actually watched it again last year for the first time in maybe a decade. This is, of course, the story of the famous Scottish rebel William Wallace, played in that movie by Mel Gibson, probably his defining moment as an actor in Hollywood. He said this, everybody dies. Not everybody truly lives. Remember when that quote came out in that movie, me and my friends were all in our mid-20s and that became a rallying cry of sorts for us. And it still echoes true to me today, nearly 20 years later. Everybody dies, but not everybody truly lives. And then this is my all-time favorite quote on death. Also from a movie. Sometimes we Christians tend to dismiss popular culture as if it's all bad, forgetting that great literature is embedded these days often in television series and films. Let's not be so quick to dismiss the teachings of popular culture, for it is from the words of Red, Morgan Freeman's character, from the pen of Stephen King, no less, that we get this last one, my favorite, get busy living or get busy dying, from the movie The Shawshank Redemption. I also quite like Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, 
he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, <clears throat> but under grace. Now that you're already dead, 11 ways to live. Wait, I'm already dead? Yes, I guess I better convince you of that first. Verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There it is, plain and simple. If you belong to Jesus, you're already dead. You're welcome. All of us, everybody, without exception, if you belong to Jesus, you're already dead. You've died to the life you once lived. Let that one soak in for a second. Is it for real? When Pastor Todd says that, do you get a witness in your heart? Yes, I have died to the way I once lived. And you are now learning what it means to walk in newness of life. Isn't that the journey of life in a nutshell? For the person who belongs to Jesus, all of life is about learning to walk in newness of life. Doesn't that prospect make life much more interesting and exciting? It allows you to come back after a crappy Sunday. You go, well, this week I get to walk in newness of life. We get to do it again. You've died to the life you once lived. You're now learning what it means to walk in newness of life. Why? Because newness of life is your eternal destiny. That's your destiny as a Christian. I could stop right there. That's almost enough teaching for one day. You're already dead. So point number one of 11, take your new life for a walk. We get this out of verse four. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, here it is, we too might walk in newness of life. You know what this is in the original language? We too should be, hear it, about traveling in newness of life. Newness of life is meant to travel. Somebody ought to shout in this house. You're like, we are not allowed to travel. Exactly. Exactly. So in the midst of those temporal restrictions, how are you going to take your new life in Jesus for a walk? Friend, this week, take your new life for a walk. Go somewhere. Do something. You know who likes to sit still? Corpses. You're like, oh, shoot. Right? Corpses like to sit still. Take, whoo, Pastor Tucker preached today. Take your new life for a walk. If your life is at a standstill, it's no kind of life at all. Right? All the type one personalities said amen. Right? You're like, yeah, but I like chilling out. Okay, chill out and then go do something. Don't live a standstill kind of life. You're already dead, so to count on being of the upstanding. We get this from verse five. For, we, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, hear it in the Greek, it's better in the Greek. If we have been united with him in a death like his, of the upstanding we shall be. Isn't that a great word? Resurrection means upstanding. Of the upstanding, we shall be. You're going to build... 
I was going to say you're going to belong to, but let me correct myself theologically and say, we'll receive it. You already belong to a people who will get back up. One day you will lie down and you will not get back up. Those of you who have been with someone when they die, that's usually how it happens. They're lying there and their breath is getting shallower and shallower. And eventually that great and final stillness comes over them as they pass away from this life. One day you will lie down and you will not get back up. Dot, dot, dot. Then you will get back up. This is the great hope of the person who belongs to Jesus. (laughs) Of the upstanding we shall be. Hallelujah. So, by the way, since that's um, how you're going to be someday, you might as well live like it today, no? Right. How much would that change your day-to-day ethic? If you began living like, one day I'm going to get back up. You could pull that promise from the future into the present, and the next time you get knocked down, you could get back up. And then the next time you get knocked down, since you're of the upstanding already, you could get back up. That's what I did this week. I got back up. You could put it on a t-shirt, get back up like Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, Nikki, my one true fan. Somebody make me a t-shirt, get back up, make sure there's a comma, comma, like Jesus, period. You're already dead, so um, three, celebrate every time you see any part of the old self passing away. This is something so many Christians get wrong. We're depressed because we want to see all of the old self pass away all at once. Doesn't happen that way. Look at verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Brought to naught. That's what's happening to sin and its legacy in your life. This is is full of good news today. Aren't you glad you came to church? That's what's happening to sin and its legacy in your life. It is being brought to naught. So, notice and celebrate every even small win over sin. Change your mindset. Stop being one of these Christians who mopes throughout life because you haven't got it all figured out just yet. Stop being one of those people and start being someone, receive it, who celebrates every win. Every small little win over sin, celebrate it. Point number four, with the goal of seeing routine sin brought to nothing in your life. I get this out of verse 6, part B. So that we would no longer be enslaved to what? To sin. I learned to play darts in grade 9. And I was lousy at it at first. But the more I worked at it, the better I got. And despite practicing, sometimes hours a day, I tend to be a little bit obsessive. If I do anything, I want to be great at it. So I practiced hours a day. I can still play, in fact. Even with practicing hours a day, was I ever perfect? Never. 
Never. But I got better at it. Let's flip that into Christian living for a moment. Seeing as it's so hard, why should I bother working at holiness? Isn't holiness tough? Can I get one witness in this house? Very tough. In some senses, it's been accomplished for you in Christ. In another sense, like the Apostle Paul, you are not yet what you shall be. Sin is being brought to naught in your life. So why bother? A few reasons. One, because it gives God glory. It makes him smile when he sees you practicing at holiness. It gives God glory. It brings you joy. Because as you work at it, and you begin to accumulate small victories, it actually puts a smile on your face. Have you ever experienced that? You're like, you get to check that off the list for a minute. You're like, yeah, all right, progress. It gives God glory, it brings you joy, and it proves to your sphere of influence in the real world that your faith is real. Because why else would you stand in the basement for hours by yourself practicing at darts? That's why we work at holiness. Because we're free to do so. That's what it looks like to be free. Read verse 6, part B again. This time focusing on a different word. First time we focused on the word sin. Now let's focus on the word enslaved. So that we would no longer be enslaved. You're already dead, so point number five. You're free to work at being free. You're free to work at being free. We tend to think of freedom, I spoke on it last week, as poof, you're off and you're good. Anyone who's ever run a race knows that you have to keep running the race, otherwise you're no longer running a race. You're free to work at living free. It is for freedom that Christ has made us free, Galatians 5.1. And another one of Pastor Todd's favorite slogans, you are now free to move about the country, Southwest Airlines. And everybody sighed. Those days will come again. If there are any airlines left, holy smokes. Free in Christ means free to work. Because, point number six, death is dead and life is now your destiny. Consider verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If we've died with him, we will live with him. Life is your destiny. You can't lose. Are you living like it? I mean, receive that one this morning, church. Life is your destiny. You can't lose. Are you living like it? Stop living like death has won. Examine your life. There may be habits in your life that reflect a deep, ingrown belief that somehow death is still on the throne. Okay? Death is dead. Life is your destiny. Start living like it, including, point number seven, um, changing your self-image. We get this out of verses 10 through 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the mindset bit, okay? Don't miss it. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. God has accomplished this for you. You must consider it true for you. I'll say it again because it's important. God has accomplished this. You must consider it true for you. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Let me invite you to um, have this sentence as part of your ongoing lexicon. I'm dead to that. 
First time the temptation to sin shows up in your life routinely, look it right in its face and say, I'm dead to that. I've told you to say to the devil when he shows up, not today, devil, not today. Okay? When the urge to sin, sh- I'm dead to that. Another way you can put it is, that's not for me anymore. Motorcycles, they're not for me anymore. Golfing, it's not for me anymore. Why? Because I'm walking now in the outskirts of heaven. We know this from Ephesians 2.6. We know that we are seated right now with God in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friend, you're in heaven already. More on that in just a moment. You're already dead, so point number eight, don't let sin have the mastery. I get this out of verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. A simple question as we near the end of today's message. Is Jesus king in your life? Or is sin king in your life? Is Jesus king or is sin king? Simple pastoral point. I hope you take this with you and apply it in your life. Um, If you're letting sin rule, you're wasting your life. And last time I checked, a life was a terrible thing to waste. Sin shows up. Tell it you're not going to let it steal your life. Instead, point number nine, give yourself to God by acting now like you're not yet. I get this out of verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is an invitation for you, this is an invitation for me, this is an invitation for us to live as if the promises are true. That'll change your life right there. Help us, Lord, to live like the promises are true. Point number 10, because you're gonna get to practice playing at goodness forever, so you might as well start now. We get this out of the second half of verse 13. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Here it is. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The band might as well come back and grab their instruments as we prepare to close our service with worship. Present your members, literally the the parts of your bodies. Body, soul, and spirit present all the parts of you, all the aspects of you, present them. I didn't preach on that, but I want to mention it. It means to give, means God's not going to take this from you by force. Means to some degree it's up to you. He's accomplished it, and now you have to walk in it. Give yourself, present yourself, give yourself to God like a present as what? An instrument of righteousness. Second part first, what do we know about righteousness? From the Buddhist Noble Eightfold Path, we would use the term right action. What do we know about right action? We know, receive it, that it is limitless. We think, well, there's there's, too much of a good thing. There's no such thing as too much of a truly good thing. I'm speaking cosmically here. We know this about right action. It has no limits. Next point. What do we know about instruments? It takes a long time 
and a lot of practice to master them. You just figured out why eternity is forever. Did you figure it out? To practice goodness forever. That's why it's forever. To think that you'll get to play drums forever and bass forever and keys forever and guitar forever and to sing forever. To think that you'll be able to be good forever, to love forever, to give. A man could shout about that in this house. To think that in Christ, no good thing ever perishes. Hallelujah. So you might as well start now. That's the big idea. Through grace, point 11. Since you are not under law, verse 14, but under grace. Um, you're already dead. So live in grace. Grace.